I want you to think about the politics of, let's be honest, an empire. Even though everyone still likes to think of it as a great expression of a republic. But again, let's be honest. All of the power is held by the wealthy. Everyone else is lumped together and thought of as representing a vast, essentially, somewhat upwardly mobile middle class. And and I want you to picture right now the most recent succession struggle. And it was a struggle. The two men vying for the executive branch's top spot. Here's the rundown of the two candidates. The first one. You know, his political career started so young, and he was such a familiar presence on the political scene that in some ways he seemed almost fated to continue rising in power and position. He had an easy charm that made him a comfortable personality for the masses, a sort of aw shucks persona that seemed kind of quaint and old-fashioned. In their struggle for power, his rival relentlessly mocked him, calling him names, trying to embarrass him, putting him into positions where he might end up looking silly. And how about that rival? Well, that man's greatest passions were business and money. He loved the limelight and was clearly fascinated by the ups and downs of what we would call, you know, pop culture. Those in his inner circle, if they were being honest, would describe him as being fairly compulsive in his habits. For years, there had even been rumors of corruption. But one thing was sure. He was notoriously disinterested in listening to others' counsel. He was his own man and always felt that he knew what to do in any situation. Obviously, you know exactly the two I'm talking about. The two sons of the emperor Claudius, one natural, the other adopted, Britannicus and Nero. And did you know? Nero won, and then had his own brother, Britannicus, murdered, and then pursued one of the most vile, hateful imperial reigns in the history of Rome, which is saying something. And did you know, it was during the first two or three years of said reign that a certain Paul from Tarsus sat down and wrote this? Listen. Every Christian ought to obey the civil authorities, for all legitimate authority is derived from God's authority, and the existing authority is appointed under God. To oppose authority, then, is to oppose God, and such opposition is bound to be punished. Which all flies in the face of how most Christians have acted in this country for pretty much the entirety of our nation's history. And I'll be careful not to touch too much on the last, say, 40 years as Christians have become practically radicalized vocally in their political opinions. I'll be very careful not to go there. But I've got a question for you. What if... Nobody had any idea how you voted, but they could not miss the way, the way of Jesus, his very life shone through you. How might that be? Let's keep going. The honest citizen has no need to fear the keepers of law and order, but the dishonest man will always be nervous of them. 
if you want to avoid this anxiety, just lead a law-abiding life. And all that can come your way is a word of approval. You see, there is meant to be a lovely anonymity when we do the right thing, trust the Lord, and societally go about the ministry of Jesus. Here's what I mean. If you look at the Gospels and Acts, especially considering that the call of Jesus was for the overturning of the world in favor of the kingdom of heaven, it's actually quite stunning how much he never talks about the world's ways, its ethics, culture, government, but only about heaven's ways. Read the Gospels and Acts and tell me I'm wrong. Instead, In the instructional and sending out directives that he gives, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 10, Matthew 28, Acts 1, the onus is on us to show heaven full stop. Hence, the danger of thinking that doing the work of Jesus starts at the societal level. When we bypass trusting the Lord and instead are off to our own version of doing the right thing, which if you're paying attention, is more and more a non-anonymous, boisterous, even bruising front and center sort of sociopolitical culture warfare. Friends, we are sticking out so much of the time like sore thumbs and in the wrong sorts of ways. Let's keep going. The officer is God's servant for your protection. But if you are leading a wicked life, you have reason to be alarmed. The power of the law, which is vested in every legitimate officer, is no empty phrase. He is, in fact, divinely appointed to inflict God's punishment upon evildoers. You should, therefore, obey the authorities, not simply because it is the safest, but because it is the right thing to do. It is right, too, for you to pay taxes, for the civil authorities are appointed by God for the good purposes of public order and well-being. Give everyone his legitimate due, whether it be rates or taxes or reverence or respect. Now, I asked this before, and I'll ask it now in a little different sort of way. What if nobody had any idea of your political leanings, but they could not miss the way, the way of Jesus, his very life, shown through you. Personally, I have fears that our escalating political and partisan enmeshment is doing irreparable damage to any possibility of reasonably pointing to the love of Jesus. We cannot speak the language of hate and love. We cannot use the world's weapons within a heavenly strategy. Listen to some of these phrases again. Obey the authorities, the right thing to do, pay taxes, give legitimate due in rates, taxes, reverence, respect. Friends, we are called to simply do these things. Again, the body of Christ is best when it follows the quiet, purposeful way of Jesus. It is immediately at its worst when it departs to walk, frankly, any other path. I'll keep reading. Keep out of debt altogether, except that perpetual debt of love which we owe one another. 
The man who loves his neighbor has obeyed the whole law in regard to his neighbor. For the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, and all other commandments are summed up in this one saying, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love hurts nobody. Therefore, love is the answer to the law's commands. And here's a different twist to that question I keep asking. How about this? What if nobody had any idea of your socioeconomic standing, but they could not miss the way, the way of Jesus, his very life shown through you? You see, whether we're talking about assets and liabilities, ideas of net worth, personal networks, class structure, or we even move over to gender, race, economic history, etc., the call of Jesus remains the same, active love. And for what it's worth, active love is not act like this and then I'll love you. It's I love you because love himself loves me. Christian love is the direct overflow of Christ's love. And if you want to understand it, read the Gospels and see how it manifests. Because by the way, it is quite active in totally unexpected directions. Let's keep reading. Why all this stress on behavior? Because as I think you have realized, the present time is of the highest importance. It is time to wake up to reality. Every day brings God's salvation nearer. The night is nearly over. The day has almost dawned. Let us therefore fling away the things that men do in the dark. Let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Let us live cleanly. As in the daylight, not in the delights of getting drunk or playing with sex, nor yet in quarreling or jealousies. Let us be Christ's men from head to foot and give no chances to the flesh to have its fling. All right, final version of my repeated question. What if Everybody you ever met knew precisely where you stand. What matters more to you than anything else? Because the way of Jesus, his very life, is your life. What if in the world's economies of meaning, its passing fancies, uh, sex, money, power, celebrity, we were absolutely invisible? What if instead, in the economies of heaven, the eternal realities of Jesus, his holiness, his trust, his authority, his glory, we were conspicuous in the way that he was conspicuous. What if we only stood out like he stood out? And what if the rest of the time we were quietly busy doing good? Friends, what if the early church had the recipe right? Enamored only with the life of Jesus, fellowshipping joyfully with those likewise moved, living simply in the midst of the world's greatest ever calling, prayerful together 
that he'll just do it all over again. Filled with awe, seeing signs and wonders consistently, sharing peaceably so that all are cared for, fundamentally unattached to the material world, constantly gathering for the sake of the Holy Spirit's work, praising Jesus as our center, our head, our everything. My friends, how does that sound to you? Thanks for listening.